Thank you, Lee. Thank you, AJ. That was great. We're very blessed to have uh, talented folks and uh, AJ and Lee and our choir. Y'all did men's choir. Did a great job today. You know, it's um, it's really good to get a hymnal out. I don't know that we've had one out in a while, so it was probably good training for everybody to do that. And uh, next week we'll have our platform back together again and We'll, we'll be through with, well, I don't know if we will or not, because we got Deep Impact next week, so it'll be another week, so we'll, we'll get it back, and uh, if you have your Bibles today, if you turn with me to John chapter 6, we continue in, in our, in our messages on John, the 26th of these, before we get there, I want to uh, just thank uh, Echo, Brother AJ's comments to our Vacation Bible School workers. So many of you, uh, I would say a large number of people that are here today have been a part of Bible School. Uh, Randy and Sharon Wood were part of Bible School and married their daughter. Beautiful wedding last night. Boy, what a week they've had. If y'all ever had an excuse to miss church, today was it. So, (laughs) yeah, I know. What a beautiful day, though. And uh, we're blessed in the legacy of children in our church, in the way that they've been raised, and the young couples that we have in our church. I'm continually amazed by them, and the way that their parents have prepared them to serve, and the way that they serve in so many ways. We are we are extraordinarily blessed in our church. We have strong families here today. I'm going to talk today about working for eternity. And um, Jesus points us to scripture and says that there are good things and there are better things. And there's the best thing. We got to look at the best thing. Look at this. The bread of life. John chapter 6, verse 22, and I'm going to read through verse 35. The next day, the crowd had stayed on the other side of the sea and saw that there had only been one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, They got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has sent, has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they ask. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one that he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they ask. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, just as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven But my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus told them, I am the bread of life. No one comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever 
be thirsty again. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you'll speak clearly to us today through your spirit. We thank you that you love us and care for us. We thank you that you've given us this today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Working for eternity. There is a fellow named William Somerset Mangum who wrote um, on, um, of human bondage. He lived in England. He was an accomplished novelist, great playwright, short story writer. When he was 91 in 1965, he was fabulously wealthy. He had all these royalties that came in. They had a play that continued to play all in the European theaters. He just made money on top of money. He received over 300 letters a day from his fan club. He had a lot of people that liked him. But how did he respond to his success? 91 years old. We get an insight from his nephew. He visited his uncle just before he died. He had this beautiful home in the Mediterranean. Here's what he said about him. He said, I looked around the drawing room at the immensely valuable furniture and the pictures and the objects that Willie, that was his name, success had enabled him to acquire. I remember the villa itself and the wonderful garden. I could see through the windows and the setting on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. He had 11 servants, including his cook, Annette, who was the envy of all the millionaires on the Riviera. He dined on silver plates, waited on by his butler, Henry, his footman. But he no longer, but none of that no longer meant anything to him. The following afternoon, I found Willie reclining on a sofa, peering through his spectacles at a Bible which he had been given. I've been reading this Bible that you gave me, and I've come across the quotation, he said to his nephew. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, loses his soul? I have to tell you, my dear Robin, the text used to hang on my bed when I was a child. Uh, It's all a lot of bunk, he said. But that's quite interesting. All the same, that evening in the drawing room after dinner, Willie flung himself on the sofa and said, Robin, I'm so tired. I've been a failure the whole way of my life. I made mistake after mistake. I, I, I tried to comfort him. I said, you're the most famous writer alive. Surely that has to mean something. He said, I wish I'd never met, written a single word. It's brought nothing to me but misery. Everybody who got to know me has ended up hating me. My whole life has been a failure. And now it's too late to change. It's too late. Willie looked up and his grip tightened on his hands. He was staring at the floor. His face contorted with fear and he was trembling violently. He said to me, go away. I'm not ready. I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead. He says, there is no hope in life as he stared at the horror that faced him. There's no one here for me. What a grim story that he lived his whole life. He had nothing to show for it of eternal value, that he could see it all just vanishing away. And that's the situation that we really all face and that Jesus addressed here. Jesus had become very, very popular in his ministry. He'd gone and fed 5,000 people on the shore of Galilee. He, he had healed sick people. People followed him by the thousands where that's what the first few verses of this from verse 22 to 24 is about. The, the crowd literally would follow Jesus everywhere he went. He went one place to get away from the crowd and there they would be. When he crossed, when he fed the 5,000, he crossed the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. Of course, he walked. They they saw that he wasn't in the boat with them. They got on the other side, and there he was, and there was no boat. And they wondered, how'd you get here? What happened to you? And and they were eager to have more of Jesus. They wanted him to do more. They tipped their hand up here. They said, uh, they said, you know, we what 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 are you going to do? 
What can you, what else can you do? And Jesus replied to him, he says, I tell you, you're not looking for me because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. The, the loaves were a sign, you know. In fact, it was the fourth sign of seven signs in the book of John. But the sign is designed not to be in itself a great miracle, but it was pointing the people to God. It was to say, when they saw this, they could say, yeah, that's really the Son of God. But what people did is they saw the sign and they said, that was great. When's the next meal? What, what are you going to do next? What, what's, what's the next thing? And so I've got three points I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to tell you, first of all, don't be blinded by the wrong food. You won't see it on the screen. Just trust me. That's what it is. Don't, don't be blinded by the wrong food. Jesus said, you're looking for the wrong thing. Don't work. He says in verse 27, for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. Boy, that's a, that's a sermon right there. That'll preach a whole sermon. Don't, don't work. Don't work for the food that perishes. Some, some people in the world work for the food that perishes and they have a lot to show for it. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of position. They have a lot of power. They have a great home. They have nice cars. They have big bank accounts. They work. They have great health care. They work for the things that perish. But they're successful at it. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. That's not the problem. I'm not railing against wealth. We just have to be very, very careful with it. One of the problems as we raise our families is that if we're not careful, if we have that kind of attitude that we work for the things that are perishing, we work for the things of this world, then we teach our children that as well. And their goals also become like our goals. And so many times when we ask our children, we say, what do you want to do with your life? And they will talk about accomplishments or education, or they will talk about Financial success or material success. And, and my statement to you about the young couples in our church really is heartfelt because we have so many couples in our church that have been raised and they have great spiritual values. They are working for eternal things. But we have to be careful. We have to be really careful because you might not feel affluent, but if you're here today, you probably are affluent. I mean, you're close. You, you've got a lot more than a lot of people have. And you've got to be careful that you don't spend all your energy and all your time and all your effort working for things that won't last. That a moment after death, they're all gone. Jesus said that. Indeed, he said that to us in Matthew 16. He, it's what, what this writer quoted. What will... You gain, what, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? The whole world, all the possessions and loses his soul. What? It's the ultimate bad deal. We gotta be careful. There, there's another group of people too in this and there's some other group of people that also work for the things of this world. They just don't have them. They don't have any of them. It breaks my heart every week. 
we have somebody. We encounter through our outreach ministries, through the ministries of the church, through one of you who, who gets us in touch with somebody who, do, who doesn't have a home, who, who doesn't have food, who doesn't have a car that works. I mean, they have a car, but the car... It has a radiator hose that's broken, but the radiator hose costs $150 to fix, and they don't have $150 any more than I have $200,000. They just can't do it. It's a, it's a goal they can't reach. They don't have medical care. They go to the doctor, and they don't, they can't go to the doctor. You go to the doctor, and if you don't have money, they, you can't see the doctor. You can go to the emergency room and they'll treat you, but they don't have access. They, they're not focused on spiritual things. They're, they're just trying to stay alive, but they don't have the things of this world. You know, when Jesus started out his ministry, he, he, he went out among the people and, and he, he got out in the people and, and, and they said that, um, that when Jesus ran into folks, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion on them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. When he got out in the world, that's what he found. He found people that were broken. And, and he, was, he was drawn to those people. That's a lot of where his ministry revolved around those kinds of folks. And he had a special kind of compassion for them. He reached them. You, this is kind of a side to my message, but I, I want to tell you, we got to love people like that. God's put them in the world for us and the problems are difficult. They're hard to solve. You can't fix most of them. I mean, there are problems that just go beyond our resources and beyond what we know. This week, some of, some of you were involved and God bless you the way that you got involved and helped us solve a problem that was very difficult. But there's this whole group of people that work for food that's not eternal and they don't get it. What a sad thing that is. That you work your whole life, that you invest your whole life. What, it, it's a sad thing whether you invest your whole life for perishable food and you get it. And you have all of these things. And then the moment after death, it's all gone. Or if you work your whole life and you have none of those things. And a moment after death, you also have nothing. Jesus said you have to be really careful. Don't. Work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. Church, that's, we could, if you got that, we could, we could just about walk away. That's, that's really the lesson you gotta get today. The second thing I want you to know, there's only one kind of work that counts for eternity. I want to start in the back part of verse 27 and read that. There's only one kind of work that starts, that, that, that work, and I have work in parentheses, in little parentheses for you, because you know, you can't work for your salvation. And Jesus says that. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. It will give it to you. You see, the most important thing that all of us need, the priority that needs to be for all of our homes, the thing that is foundational, it is eternal, it's not anything we work for, it's something that God gives us. And everybody, I guarantee it, we all here think there's something that we got to do to get eternal life. There's something we got to do. I mean, I have a really hard time with the idea that God just gives us eternal life. And Jesus said, you know, they went down to verse 28 and they said, so, so tell us, what can we do to perform the works of God? That's a great question. 
What, what do you have to do to do the things that God wants you to do? That's a great question. I mean, you would expect volumes to be written after that. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus replied, this is the work of God. That you believe in the one who sent. It's amazing. I, I have struggled, Jacob and AJ, with that verse all week. I said, you know, is it? Is that it? I mean, of all the things that we do, and how many times do we leave work a week of ministry and we say, Oh, there's so much to do. There's so many things that we didn't get to. There's so much ministry that we didn't do. There's so many people we didn't visit. So many calls that we didn't make. There's so many hours we didn't study. And Jesus said, if you want to work for God, then believe in the one who sent, that God sent. That's what, that's what we do. Church, that, that's, that's our challenge right there to work, to believe. Now, this isn't a casual intellectual belief. This isn't something that you just say, okay, I, I believe in God. I can go on and work for all the money that I want. It, it's a, it's a belief that's founded in our heart that changes our life, that changes the direction and the course of who we are. It, it, we're different people because of our belief. You know, there's two verses of scripture that I want to, to look at briefly and, and you know them really well. Paul described that. He, 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 he said this. He, 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 when he was talking about righteousness by faith alone, he said we don't get right by God by any other way. We don't get there by working for it, by earning it, by talking about it, by achieving it. We, it's not like we, we're a little baby believer and we kind of work up to a full-blown believer. Paul says this is it. In, in Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's about as simple an instruction, a priority as we have. You've got to confess him with your mouth that you're a sinner that you believe in who he is, and then that you believe in your heart that he is who God said he is. And that's the work that God calls you to do. That, that ought to be the foundational work of all of our life. That ought to be what we all spend our time investing in, to make sure that our faith, before any of us go out and work in the church or work in the community or go out and do anything for the Lord, we have to make sure we have that foundation of our faith. And fathers... You want, you want to lay an eternal foundation for your family. You make sure they understand that. You sit down with your children. You know, I, I had this conversation with my kids from time to time. And they look at me kind of funny like, well, dad, you know, we, we, we got baptized. We, no, do, this is, is this what you believe in your heart? Is this, is this where you are? Of all the things that you know, this is most important. They've got to know that. That's something we gotta, we gotta transmit to our children. We gotta make sure they get it. If they don't get anything else in our home, and, and we spend so much time teaching and instructing and coaching and mentoring, and we, we've got, we've gotta share this simple truth with them. You, you know, it's so hard for me. <laughs> Paul also writes in this, this whole idea that, that belief is the most important thing that God could do. You know, over in Ephesians, Paul tells us about how we were before we were saved. That he says we were dead in our sins. We were lost. We were hopelessly tangled up in sin. He uses the word dead, which means dead. And that we were following the ways of the world. We had no way of resuscitating ourselves. That we lived like the rest of the world lived. 
That we were by nature children of wrath, Paul writes. But then he says in verse 4, and I think it's the best transition in the whole New Testament. He says, but God, who's rich in mercy, because of his great love, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our sins. Isn't that amazing, church? That's our work. That's what he said. And then Paul tells us the verse you all know. For you're saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. So before you do anything, you have to recognize that the work that God calls us to do is to believe in Jesus. Jesus said, listen, don't chase after me for bread or for miracles or for actions. But you got to recognize that through him would come salvation and eternal life. And everything else doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. That's foundational. And the people have a hard time with it. This is the work of God that you believe in the one he sent, Jesus says. Okay, they say, what sign then are you going to do so that we may believe it may see and believe you? So after Jesus said that, they said, okay, tell, give us a sign. He says, what are you going to perform? I like, I like the word perform. It's not even, I mean, they're, they're not even hiding their intent. What are you going to do for us? How are we going to benefit? How can you prove what you're saying? You know, God gave God gave manna in heaven that just fell out of the sky. What are you, what are you going to do for us? I mean, you fed us yesterday, but what about today and what about tomorrow? And then Jesus talked about bread. He said, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. See, see, Jesus is saying, you guys got the manna, but you need to get the real bread. And the real bread of God is the one who came down from heaven and gives life to the world. So, That's what you and I need to make a part of our regular diet is the one God sent into the world for us. That needs to be our priority, our focus. Kind of leads, that leads to my third point, which is there's only one food that counts for eternity. Only one food. That's it. That's, there, there is it. You can have whatever priority you want. You can do whatever else that you desire, but there is only one food that counts for eternity. Jesus said in verse 35, I am the bread of life. The first of seven I am statements when he would declare. Uh, an I am statement, of course, goes right back to the book of Exodus when God revealed himself to Moses by saying, I am who I am. When Moses said, who are you? He said, I am who I am. In other words, I am everything that you can imagine. You can't even encompass that word. So when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he is saying, I am God. I have the power and the authority of God to speak with me. He says, if you want bread, I'm the bread. If you want wealth, I'm the wealth. If you want eternity, I'm the eternity. He would say in to Lazarus, to, to the people around Lazarus, to, to his relatives, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the source of the resurrection. I'm not just somebody that can raise somebody from the dead, which is phenomenal in and of itself. But he said, I am the source of resurrection. So I am. I am. They were concerned about filling stomachs. Jesus is concerned about their eternity. You and I need to be careful about that. We can spend a lot of time focusing on filling our stomach. A lot of time filling our coffers. 
All of that's temporary. The bread of life, he said, is, is permanent. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. And you know, Jesus gets that right from the Samaritan woman when he said to her, uh, when he said that everybody who drinks out of this well will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give them will never get thirsty. In fact, the water I give them will become a well of water springing up in them for eternal life. Jesus is not concerned about the food and water for a day. You and I seem to be almost obsessed with the food and water for a day. I wrote down some things. The best of fishing trips has to be followed by another fishing trip, doesn't it, Jacob? I mean, you, you go, you get the best trip, you want to go. The best vacation, you want to have the best, you want to have one better than that. C.S. Lewis says, I can't find a cup of tea which is big enough or a book that's long enough. He's always wants more. Uh, I heard somebody talking about racquetball. You can play the best racquetball game ever, be at your best, but you always want to play another one. You can have a great Sunday dinner. And for you ladies that fix a wonderful Sunday dinner, I'm sorry to say that everybody's going to look to you to do it again next week. It will be followed by breakfast even the next day. You can wear the fanciest clothes and you'll want new clothes next year. That keeps a lot of folks in business. In just a few hours, the things of this world don't satisfy us anymore. But Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If you take from me You will never hunger again. That's a profound truth for us. And on Father's Day, boy, that's a great place to orient ourselves. And we're at a time of transition now. We're, you know, we have a bunch of our students just graduated. We've got people going to school. We have couples that have gotten married. We've got young couples that are in the middle of their life. And and they're doing the things that, that they will do all their lives. And Jesus says, you got to come to me because no one who comes to me will ever be hungry no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again that's a powerful statement so i jotted down a few things this week that bread is when you think about bread bread's a wonderful thing i mean to smell bread bread's nourishment for us we need it daily we need it often we need it frequently we need it plentifully you need bread of life daily you, you can't, you can't have the bread of life once a week. If you, if you just equate that to your physical bread, you, you wouldn't do it just once a week. You, you gotta do it often. I mean, we, we eat three times a day. And some of us have snacks. Some people don't really stop eating. You know? I mean, eating is our national pastime. What if, what if we consume the bread of life the same way? What if we put that same priority? Bread's nourishment. We need it. Bread has a sweet aroma to it. You know, I, I used to love, I used to love to come into my mom's place. She lived in a house for a while and then she lived in a condominium. That condominium was like an old farmhouse when you walked in it. Cause it, she would be cooking something. You would smell the bread in that house. It just filled up that place. You know, when you taste the bread of life, and you consume him, that aroma will fill a place up. It, the, you pour the bread of life in a business meeting that's divisive in a church and it becomes unifying and loving place. Discord and backbiting becomes fellowship and love. Gossip, conflict vanishes to reconciliation. That's the aroma of the bread of life.
That's what he'll do in our church. That's why we need him. That's why I need him. If I try to minister on my own power and authority and my own ability, I get to be a grouchy old guy. But if I go to the bread of life, he renews and refreshes and he can fill me with that aroma that I so much need. I imagine you need that too. He's also restorative. Bread of life restores us. I, I remember in the, in the military, we, we, uh, and we, this is one of the great things about, and if you've been in service, you'd know this. The army has a, ba- a baking unit. So you wouldn't believe they still have a bakery unit. And they have guys that just bake bread. Think, what a crazy thing that is. And so when soldiers would come out of the field and they're nasty and dirty and they haven't had baths in days, haven't had a decent meal, they walk by the bakers and there are loaves of bread. Well, they've been eating whatever they eat, MREs, C-rations in the World War II, old terrible stuff. I mean, it's you can live on it. It's not real good. It doesn't smell at all. About 2,500 calories a meal will fill you up. It's not good. So the soldiers go in there and they drop their uniforms off and they get in the shower and they come out on the other side and give them new uniforms and new boots and new stuff. And they give them bread. And boy, you see the morale go up in soldiers. You see, you, you know, that's, that's why you need, that's why you and I need the bread of life in our life. When you feel this, the despondent and dejected and worn down and you, you get into the bread of life, Carol, Carol gave me a book. It, I told AJ this week that book has had more impact on me than any book other than the Bible. And it's an old preacher that sat down with another old preacher. His old guy was discouraged. And he sat down with this fella and he just filled him up. He restored him with the word of God. You and I need that every day. If you don't get that, you're missing God's restore, restoration through the bread of life. The bread of life is meant to be shared. It's okay to eat bread alone. I mean, sometimes we have to do that. I love to go somewhere to a restaurant that serves bread when Debbie and I go somewhere. And I love that time that we can visit with each other, share that with each other. You know, one of the problems with the bread of life with Christians is that we have a great word from God and we don't share it. How powerful it is when we share it with other people. How desperate the world needs this. And you know, you don't have to be a great evangelist. You don't have to be a great teacher. You can just share them some little truth about what Christ has done in your life. You can tell them, listen, you know, I've been really discouraged this week, but I've been reading this passage in the Bible and it has really picked me up and it has really given me a sense of hope and it's really given me some, some purpose. Hey, do you read the Bible? Do you do that? Well, let me share this with you and tell you what it's done. The bread of life is meant to be shared. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry again. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty. That's a priority for us. That is a, he is, he is saying to a rowdy crowd that chases after him and wants all the flashy things, guys, the bread is who you need. And I'm the bread. That's what you need. And so to all of us, that we have all of our priorities and all of our ideas. We work sometimes for the things that perish. And we got to spend a little time doing that. But it must not be our priority. The glitter that we get for a moment, it might last generations. It might last a long time, but one day it will be gone. Jesus said, 
He is all we need. And our goal, our job, our priority, our effort needs to be to trust Him and believe Him. In just a minute, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And I, I love this hymn as much as any in our hymnal. And I'm really glad that you're going to get to open your hymnal up and, and sing this hymn together. I want, I want these words to pour over your heart about how powerful Christ is in our life. And that you would rather have the things of God over all the things of the world. So today, when you go home in your table, as you're a father or you're a son or you're a grandfather or whatever your role, or if you're a daughter, whatever you are, let the bread of life be the center of your table. Maybe you eat by yourself because you don't have anybody at home today. The bread of life will be powerful enough to sustain you. Maybe you're in a time of grief and a time of loss. Bread will sustain you. Unlike anything. If you don't know him, I urge you to come to him. Believe in him. Trust him. Give your life to him. That's what he calls us to. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Let it pour over our hearts. Don't let us just hear it like the crowds and walk away and want something else. Let us seek after what is of eternal value that you offer us for free by believing and trusting. Lord, we thank you that you loved us so much to do this for us. If there's one today, I pray you'll touch their heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.